0: And welcome back to Micromobility. Uh,
1: how 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 are you today, Horace? Where are you? Hey, hey, uh, Oliver. I'm, I'm in I'm in sunny California. I'm, I'm in San Francisco, actually. Uh, here we're about uh, two weeks away, a little bit more than two weeks away from my uh, Micromobility California, the the biggest show in micromobility in the world. Um, yep and we are i'm here just to prepare we have just a quick heads up on it it's 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 just going to be beyond our wildest expectations we've had we've had um uh, over at this point uh 350 sign up um signed you know registrations and we only have capacity for about 500 so uh we're a little bit worried because the run rate right now of, of registrations is higher than, um, than we can accommodate, so we're going to likely sell out. Um,
0: this is a very good problem to have, Horace. I'm very excited.
1: <laughs> well, yes, and I just don't want to have people miss miss out. But uh, w- we we thought we would put together a venue that was big enough for as much as demand as there was. But but it turned out to be more demand than we anticipated. Um, but the, the, still, we're keeping the venue. It's just such a marvelous place. And uh, we're going to have uh, areas for people to try the vehicles indoors. Uh, in, in case of rain, there'll be options to go outside as well. But in, in, you know we, we've got it all covered. Um, and the ferry service, which takes people from San Francisco's ferry terminal to our front door, is uh, is now operating it started only about two days ago uh, and it's it's the it's it's a return of the ferries to Richmond, which is one of the historic routes for ferries in the Bay area, but it's it has not functioned for a while. The ferry terminal is open now in Richmond and it it literally and I, I don't I'm not exaggerating when I say it's exactly at our front door because you'd get off the ferry you walk, uh, uh for uh, for for 10 seconds and you're in our front door so it, it's it's really the perfect location for us because it means essentially you're 35 minutes in the boat ride away from downtown san francisco so if you want to take the bart you can do so to richmond station or you can just stop uh, at the uh i don't know what the last stop in in embarcadero is uh, i think it is actually called embarcadero which is the um the point of of embarkation in Spanish, right? The port, the, the, the port um, that then you get to the ferry from there. Uh, and, and the ferry accommodates 250 people. We actually can't put everybody on one ferry. Many people I'm sure will come yep. from elsewhere. There, we have uh, people coming from the north and on the East Bay alone. There are ways to get there, also by the way, via via the train, or there's a bike trail that goes right to our front door as well. So if you are from Oakland,
0: I feel like that's a that's a great way to get there, according to the uh, well, according to the topic of the of the conference. Absolutely, we have a lot it's of people turning out hopefully on e-bikes.
1: Are, if you are in the East Bay, or even if you're not, if you're if you want to put your bike on the ferry, I, I believe it's permitted to do so. So, But there isn't that much distance to travel. So so if you are coming from points uh, west or southwest, uh, you you can ride to the, again, to the Embarcadero, uh, to the ferry terminal, take your bike with you all the way, and have it stored in the facility where we're going to be the craneway. So there's all kinds of options. We're accommodating uh, transit people. Uh, we're accommodating cyclists and we're accommodating drivers as well if you if you must you, you we have uh, parking available on site the the uh, parking is actually free for the ferry as well so there's there's uh, there's a great uh, I think the venue is about as, as good as it can be anyway I I'm very excited as you can tell and I don't want to take the whole show to talk about it but but it is something where we've been I've been working with with uh, um, james gross on this for a couple of months yourself as well has you you are one of our key uh, staff on this we have a, a great team of other people involved and actually uh, uh judd is going to be there from uh you know he's my co-host on the critical path and uh he's helping out as well we're gonna have uh, just uh, uh, I, I don't want to go on and on about it we have 30 more than 30 people are going to be on stage Either through panels or or presentations, e- even though it sounds like a, a you know thirty people in one day sounds out, outrageous, we actually have over two and a half hours of time for people to to interact and socialize and network. E- and and if you come by ferry, that inc- you, you have additional time on the ferry going coming and going over an hour and a half um, in transit that you can you can also interact. So it's going to be a, f- a lot of fun. So. Uh, if you haven't already signed up, please do so. It's micromobility.io. The web, uh, the URL, the the website is micromobility.io. Go there, and also you can read our manifesto, our, our, our actually preamble to our manifesto on why micromobility uh, is important. And so 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 that's that's where we are with this, with that with that event. Thanks for uh, bringing it up.
0: No stress at all. Excellent. Well, um, look, the, the thing that we'd been discussing uh, in, in the interim um, has been uh, vandalism. And I think that this has come up on a kind of a, a range of different, for a range of different reasons. But I thought what we could do is use this uh, episode to, to unpack it, implications for it now and then implications for it going forward um, and, and how you're thinking about it or how we have to think about it in the case of, of uh, micromobility.
1: Well, yes, vandalism uh, is part of historically, so let me, let me step back because the idea of sharing uh, vehicles for public use um, has been around for some time. In fact, the very first bike sharing schemes started out in, in, I believe, even as late as the, uh, as the 70s. And in fact, the reason that they were discontinued very, very early on were because of vandalism. Over time, the model has evolved to the dock model, where where bicycles were were parked in fixed locations and thus more secure. And uh, and that model went from having a sort of coin operation to eventually, uh, uh, you know, some other form of unlocking based on uh, electronic uh electronic uh, connectivity and that that model again took years and years to uh, evolve and be refined and even throughout the period where docked bikes were in operation there were some vandalism issues and i've spoken to operators of those early systems about how vandalism was uh, uh, was dealt with and and what what i heard more than once was that vandalism was something that was present in the beginning of a, of a new launch there were people who got their kicks if you will out of messing around with this new uh, this new technology or this new modality that it caused uh, kind of a there was a, a, people having getting their kicks by destroying things and then uh, you know there's not much it's not uncommon to see this, I suppose, which is a bit shame, shameful, but, but that's that's reality. and some places are worse than others. But after a while, these these behaviors tended to die down. So, so within a month or two, we saw vandalism kind of go out of style. And, and so thereafter, there were episodes but very sparse episodes, and probably people just being drunk or, or some, some other kind of lapse of judgment that occurred. Um, and sure. so this, is, this was the assumption going into this, uh, this scooter era, if you will, the, the bike, the bike era, and the dock bike era, where, where kind of our teaching, our, our early stage learning uh, experiences about, uh, about how people react to to micromobility, in particular, this very very specific model. Of, of dock bikes. And when actually, I should say, there was another episode between that episode, the, the dock bike and the scooter, which was the, the free floating bikes, which were the Chinese model. Uh, we, we, yes, we, yes we, we have this idea of the OFO and Mobike who came to the market with free floating, so no docks necessary, but they had a very low end product in the, in, 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 in the sense that the bikes were very inexpensive often very also brightly colored um very you know stand, you know some people would say ugly <laughs> not easy on the eye <laughs> yeah and so the garish and garish and, and so on and that was partly there by design they wanted to be visible from far but i think a lot of people also treated them as an invasive species in their towns and and didn't treat them with a lot of respect and and that was the, the, this is where we saw the emergence of a different form of um, of vandalism, sort of a different motivation, and and I'm not a I'm just going to throw these out as hypotheses. I'm going to disclaim a lot now, but but firstly, uh, this is just my pattern recognition. When you had dock systems, they tend to be city owned and operated, or at least city um, mandated, city regulated, city. The city would grant this franchise to an operator, usually exclusively. So, Motivate, for example, in New York with City Bike, uh, or Chicago, or Boston, or Washington, D.C., these were limited in their scope, very uh, sort of tightly defined in terms of how many were available. And most of them were in use by uh, subscribers, who were residents of the city, um, and they were regular users. Now, when the when the the model of free float came around, there was a not just a business model change and a technological change, but there was a sense of like these these were more casual use. They were meant to be uh, unregulated, and there were there were there was a lot less sense that the the population of the city was having some relationship with the with a product in other words it didn't go through a planning commission it didn't go through an organization that uh, stipulated how many and and where they could be and so and so there was a sense of resentment i believe a sense of resentment from 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 even law abiding citizens that wait a minute these are vehicles that are obviously they're they're privately owned coming from a company often not located anywhere near us operated by people who we've never heard of or met and these vehicles are 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 so many of them that they tend to they tend to clutter up everything and as we said not the prettiest things to look at so so you you have this this subtle subtle and, and you know if you look at it only from a technological point of view you're saying oh well, you 're just adding GPS but when you're looking at it from a societal point of view, it just appears to be a sort of a, a, a pivot if you will in in, in some fundamental ways that 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 might resonate or, or or irritate in in unforeseeable ways, and I think this has been sort of the the lesson of the Chinese bike shares that a lot of people were resentful of their of their approach, and I know many city governments. We, we often focus on city government. What, what, what this show is about when we talk about vandalism, we're we're saying well, what is the reaction of individuals on the street to something that's in, you know introduced this way, and so the city might react one way, and they'll say, but the city reflects essentially uh, the, the, the prevailing logic of, of the political structure of a city, but also uh, that should reflect to some degree individual, uh, uh, individuals of that city. But when you look at vandalism, you're getting a much more immediate uh, sense of how people react. So, so let, me, let me step, again, I'm sort of stepping gingerly here and trying to come to the core of this question rather slowly. Um, the what I believe, then, as we saw the transition to, to to floating, regular cycles, and and we ended up with powered vehicles in the form of scooters, is that the perception shifted between you know uh, between something that was highly regulated and not that not that exciting to something that's highly unregulated and very exciting. And again, I'm a big fan of all of these modes. But I, one has to be mindful of the way of the way citizens react to things like this and and some citizens who were not against uh, dock bikes were very very much against these new modes and also when you when you interview and you listen to some of those who perpetrate these these uh, violence against vehicles they they tend to feel they, they cite they cite things like arrogance they cite Behaviors like um, um, you know, you know, invading, po- polluting, uh, 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 coming in, and, and, and essentially not not having a discourse with, with 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 the population, and so there's there's this there, there, there tends to be a more a, a, a more judgmental view of the, of this of this entry. So that that's one way to look at it is to sort of ask yourself how does uh, how does a new mode cause a, a certain reaction amongst uh the the population um and and I've even had people on Twitter point out to me or I, you know some some person who might be considered a vandal saying that they they whenever they see one of these vehicles they 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 will knock it down they will actually violently uh, attack the vehicle <laughs> and and i I was shocked i I was i was i I was offended but that really grinds my gears yeah yeah it's very offensive and 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 i but i I, before i you know i I felt like blocking or or muting the person i wanted to understand more clearly that there sort of a little dialogue began it's like how could you do such a thing because obviously the advocates of the of the mode and, and the benefits of it you know we're, we're, we're engaging with this individual i didn't engage but the uh, you know i was watching the conversation and they were like well, yeah you know, these these things are bad and they, they are you know they they, they they impede my progress on the sidewalk they impede the progress of people in wheelchairs, wheelchairs um, and, and, and and so they they generally are are a nuisance so they weren't reacting in the kind of like oh this is this is an annoyance uh, and an arrogance, but it's more, or I should say, they weren't, they were saying it was an annoyance, but not, an, not just arrogance, which, which the, the notion of arrogance came from, uh, I read an article which was, uh, which was quoting individuals who had, I think they had a, a YouTube channel dedicated to videos showing violence against scooters, and they, they found the people who were publishing these things and talked to them. and although those who were publishing were not they were claiming they were not the ones doing it, but they were saying they wanted to attract attention to this. And, and they said that this, this again, they, they try to uh, uh, defend this idea on the basis of saying that companies who, who do, the companies who are doing this are, 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 are despicable. And so that's where that's right. where that's the data we have now. The psychology of vandalism is interesting, and and so the the question is how do you cope with this, and and there are several several prescriptions. I think there are there are there are ways of dealing with this. As I said, in the early days of bike sharing, it went away because it went from something that was done for kicks, and then people said, well, you know, you're not cool doing this. So how did we change? The mind of those who might do this to say, you know, I can pick something else to do. I'm not going to be considered cool by my friends because most of the time when you do this, you're not alone. I don't think a vandal is going to take a a bike and uh, uh you have to be a bit psychopathic. I suppose there are some uh, who are who are uh, I you know a, a sociopathic enough to sort of do it on their own. But I think most people would do it was like, hey, check, watch this, and I'm going to throw a scooter in the lake or something like that. It's, it's just watch this job to be done. You know, look at me as I do this.
0: <laughs> I found this, yeah, this this thing that I can go and, uh, and destroy.
1: Well, people do things for, for, for attention, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the part that I find interesting is sort of why, why this? Um, you know, is it because they're light and they can be picked up and easily moved around versus, you know, why would they not go and do it to someone's private vehicle? Because um, that happens, obviously, right? Like of course, there's
1: vandalism against private vehicles. Go. I'm
0: vehicle. going to go key, but yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess it's just there's, there's a sort of, uh, at least uh, where, I've, you know, where I've lived, there's always a bit more of a social expectation that you can kind of leave your car in the street without expecting it to get keyed. For example,
1: or 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 tires yeah, slashed, or or, slashed, like slash or, or, or yeah. smash a window. I mean, you're gonna smash a window in order to steal something. Uh, usually, it's a lot of work to to you know, and, and you got to find a, a projectile. Actually,
0: mm. Yeah, well, that was going to be one of the questions that I had to ask because I, I, obviously, there's that story that came out in uh, in early December um, of of, of um, people selling kits to effectively take a line, like a take a bird scooter off the street. And then they can swap out. I think it's the um, the engine control module, and you, you, they kind of have instructions. And they sell these kits for thirty dollars. And they and you know people were going and taking them, taking birds off the street, undoing the thing, putting in a new engine control module, and then effectively they had a bird scooter that was theirs that didn't need to be unlocked anytime. And and this is a sort of you know there's a difference in that in that in my mind between someone who's just like, no, I disagree with you and I think you're arrogant and I'm gonna push your scooter over To No, this is like, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually gonna go along and steal a bunch of your stuff that's off the street because I am economically incentivized to do so.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to also address this. So there's the vandalism which is done in an ad hoc manner with individuals who are, are, are sort of had the job to be done to, to show their friends what they can uh, do. Number one, there's the, you know we have the psychopath or sociopath who's doing it because they just like to destroy things. Uh, and and the third, or they want to destroy people, which is probably more more, more likely as a proxy, they're doing destruction of, of, of objects instead of people. And the third, which is, as you point out, it was more of an organized approach. Now, the organized approach has various angles. One is, yes, let's, let's steal the vehicle, make it from being shared to being par- private. There's also the potential to sort of take it and, and uh, disassemble it for parts that might be economically valuable. This actually did happen quite a bit in Europe as well, where organized crime would in one evening, or one night I should say, go around and actually harvest a lot of vehicles off the street, put them in trucks, and then ship them immediately out of the city, Probably, and I'm, I'm not judging here, but probably let's, let's say points far like Eastern Europe where the raw materials would be reprocessed um, and someone figured out a channel, of distribution channel for the, for the bikes into an economic model. So it could be for scrap, but it could be for other things. Uh, like uh, you know even the bike parts themselves might be might be reused, not the full vehicle but but the parts. And so when you have organized crime, they actually can do a lot of damage very quickly and and so they can they can cripple a network of of, of vehicles because they they strike in a way to kind of optimize their 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 uh, their returns and that and, and that that is something you you know you need to deal with as a criminal activity with you know in, in, in some way of um, uh, you know finding the culprits bringing them to justice, creating examples against doing this. Um, and of course other modes as well. by the way one, one, uh, that reminds me of one anecdote in China, some of this vandalism was also happening early on with bikes uh, and the Chinese government, to protect these these startups, impose a very stiff penalty for being caught with uh, with vandalism against shared bikes, and it went from a slap on the wrist, like uh, you know some kind of fine, to literally like thirty days in jail. And, and 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 so they did that because they could very very well could do it in an authoritarian state as China is, but they and, and very quickly as well. Um, and but that's the sort of thing that you can do, and I believe that as a result, vandalism dropped very, very rapidly if, if enforced, if this law were in force. So so you can see kind of that there are there are prescriptions for dealing with it. I, I would say, the as an operator, the danger is um, to me, if, to, the, the two fatal dangers. Right, this, these are existential threats. Number one uh, is vandalism. Uh, n- not transient is is it something that people do? more? Then once you understand the causality of behavior and the causality, whether it's again economic or 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 normative in terms of uh, some other reason, you have to then in, in, imp- implement uh, the 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 recipe, the the prescription for for preventing it. And again, I, I'm very hopeful and, and confident that that prescriptions exist. They could be uh, carrots, and they could be sticks. They could be uh, uh, laws and enforcement, and they could also be uh, incentives not to do it by saying, you know, you're ostracized. And, of course, technologies that, that uh, deter. Uh, I'm thinking about alarms, uh, although that might be a nuisance, but also things like, well, well, if you try to do anything, we know what's happening, we're going to track what's happening we're going to even perhaps photograph what's happening and so if you're doing it as a casual user, you might find yourself uh, exposed and also even if you're an organized person you we might you know also catch you in the act and 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 get authorities to react quickly. It depends again that a lot of this requires um, requires people to to to, uh, to use law enforcement. I'm reminded of one more episode, by the way. When I was speaking, I was at an event where uh, someone from Truro spoke, and they had a problem as well. And the, Truro is a company that lets uh, people rent uh, cars. Like
0: a- Airbnb for cars is the best way I've
1: heard it. Yeah, Airbnb for cars is one way to think about it. But you, if you go to the airport, you make your car available during your trip for someone else to rent it. Okay, that's the logic, and and then they find uh, they find someone to rent your personal car, and um, and it it it's it's an interesting model. It's a very powerful model if it can scale, and a lot of people actually began again. They created a, a network of people who manage this for you and and there are some who have hundreds of cars in their in their under management uh, they essentially become mini rental companies now what what he said was interesting is early on they had people who abused the system and they might they might take a car and not not return it you know because they felt that well who's going to who's going to chase me down how can you stop me and so on and, uh, and a lot of this was happening also when I was I was uh, hearing about these these people who are renting very high-end sort of exotic cars yeah people essentially stealing them uh, not returning them and so on and so who enforces this yeah you can call the police but will will take weeks perhaps to have them track the vehicle down and and by then it's probably been destroyed so so what what the managers of this Truro told uh, you know said in this talk was that they went into law enforcement mode. They started to chase these vehicles down themselves, and it was like it was like uh, uh, they they felt that it was necessary to act in that way, and um, and put a stop to it in, in by directly re- essentially creating uh, uh, the impression on the user that or on the on, on, on the potential thief I shouldn't say user uh, that this you know someone's going to come after you, and it may not even be the police, which is not. Police might—they might know how to deal with—but but an individual they may not know how to deal with. Again, I don't—I don't—I don't. have I don't, I
0: don't, got some guys. <laughs> yeah, I
1: don't. I'm not suggesting you—you you, know—become a uh, uh, what's the word—a a, um, uh, uh, some vigilante, vigilante uh, yes, vigilant. uh, or 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 hire you know uh, some some uh, bounty hound hunter or something like that. I think that the, the. However, there are things you can do as an operator to. Uh, to, to suggest, you know, to create deterrence and, and, and act decisively about this matter that would, would kind of send the right signal. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's probably not one thing, and, and you, yeah, but you have totally. to. You, it's a ground game. Don't forget, you're dealing with a business. Once you get in this business, you're dealing with a, with a business on the street. And the street is not a friendly place. In some places, <laughs> it might be, but not everywhere. And I've, I've yeah. you know, I've been around. You, you're in New Zealand. I've been, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and I can tell you, it varies widely amongst, you know, all the places in the world. There are tens of thousands of cities in the world, and and they're all different. So, that's my little. Yeah, there's
0: a, there's a couple of things that come up for me. One is, one is. Um, if I'm an operator, obviously, you, you know, there's, there's two things. Obviously, there's ad hoc and then there's a the sort of the more organized, hey, we want to go and strip this down for money. The, the way that operators, when I've been talking to them, think about this is they, they have a kind of a term for it, which is churn, and we expect... You know, maybe one percent or five percent, five percent of our vehicle fleet to be turned over every week due to vandalism, and so you'd think about it from their perspective. Strategically, they want to think of engaging with governments as being like a way to getting a buy-in in the, you know, buying um, for the for the cities as a way to de-risk the um, the ad hoc nature of it. Because if you have permission to operate, then obviously that's a way for you to de-risk. Um, or there's less, there's, you're on the streets because you have permission to be there and less people are going to go out and be annoyed and say you're arrogant and you're stealing public space. If there's a, you know, the councils have agreed. And then the other side of it is on the, is on the kind of the economic side. I think that one is, that one's actually, it reminds me of a story of when I was at Uber and we, um, DD, so we, we were in competition with DD in China And we knew that there was a certain amount of fraud that was going on within the kind of like the ecosystem, because in some ways, uh, you know, we were seeing all these trips emerging, but we didn't quite fully understand it at the time. We were just sort of, um, you know, there there was a lot of activity going on. But later on, we found out that there was, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fraud. And it was to the point that like, there were these entire companies that spun up and got funding just to defraud Uber and just to defraud Didi. Because they, you know, it was literally like they'd come up and they'd pretend, they'd create a fake GPS chip um, with a rider and with a driver. And they'd create all these fake trips on the platform and collect the, uh, the incentives on both sides for the riders and for the drivers without doing, any, without doing anything. Like there were no cars, there were no cars on the road or anything at all. It was just all spoofed, all taking advantage of this crazy dynamic wow. um, of, you know, Didi and Uber going at each other and spending heaps of money to be able to grab market share. And obviously, it, that was one of the biggest problems. It was one of the biggest things we had to go and solve for uh, when we were in China. Um, but it, but it's you know that's what you're up against, right? You're up against when you when you're really trying to scale. Yeah, and, and you know that there's a really big incentive, and there are people who want to use it, and so you just have to kind of differentiate and work out like how do we make sure that the people who are actually wanting to use it can get that service as, as best as possible. And and it's again,
1: it comes down to. Having a great deal of knowledge of the lo- at the local level, it's 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 not easy to make a test in Santa Monica, for example, and then deploy exactly the same the same operating model worldwide. And that that idea of having a, having local knowledge is so crucial to being a successful operator. Which reminds me, by the way, we should talk about our sponsor, Joyride. Joyride. Um, is, is, the idea is, is simple, is that they rely on that knowledge being held by an individual, not by themselves. So there are countless, you know, aspiring fleet operators out there, uh, mobile, micromobility operators. And if you're one of them and you have that local knowledge, then you probably know, you know what it takes to be successful in your local market and run the fleet efficiently and profitably. You've done your research, you've read the blogs and articles, you know how to do it, you've, you've gotten the reports and you've even understood the market's opportunity and listened to this podcast to learn more. The metrics from those venture-funded companies are mind-blowing. You've learned just how big the opportunity is. But you wonder how things could look if you focused on your local market. If you focused on, on, let's say, a medium-sized city, Joyride provides you the custom white-labeled mobile apps and the scalable back-end that allows everyone from the small local operator to transit agencies to launch their own micromobility fleets within weeks. You have that local knowledge, you know how to operate, and now you just need the technology and software in front and back-end, and that's what they provide. Joyride has the partnerships with all the major manufacturers as well, so you're guaranteed to have the highest quality hardware when you launch your fleet of bikes or scooters. You don't have to worry about supply chain. You don't have to worry about locking in those contracts all the way down. So here's an example of one of Joyride's customers has accomplished. The operator launched with a fleet of 200 electric scooters in their hometown, and within two weeks, they were making six figures from their rides, all the while competing in a city that already had some of the largest scooter share companies operating. The big boys were there already. Launching into that market, they still were able to be successful. This doesn't even include the additional revenue they were generating through the Joyride advertising platform that allows you to connect your customers with retail partners around the city. And that's another layer they provide you with. Maybe you don't think you could compete with the micromobility space. You think maybe it's saturated. Maybe you thought the market was already controlled by a few giants. Well, Joyride levels the playing field for, for all operators, allowing anyone to succeed with their fleet. Whether you're an independent operator with a desire to launch locally or a transit agency looking to evolve the first and last mile for your customers, Joyride helps you find the mobility share solution that works. So start your own scooter or bike sharing system today. See more at www.joyride.city, that's joyride.city it's time to join the global micromobility movement. So we'd love to have uh, you as our listener contact joyride.city and if you mention the Micromobility podcast, you can receive your first month of operational cost free. So thanks again to Joyride for supporting 5x5 and Micromobility. So we, we, we see, you know, we see that Vandalism is an issue. We see vandalism is not a—it's um, not a single solution problem. But but I also believe that as all great leaps forward in technology, there there have always been risks. There have always been challenges early on, and those have been overcome. I I, I could go on about any technology. The original automobile, the uh, original cellular networks, there were concerns about radiation. There were concerns about safety. There were concerns about, uh, indeed, uh, uh, fraud, various kinds. But they were dealt with. Uh, The the beauty of, of a good technology solution is that it tends to find... It finds, pro- you know, it develops problems, but it finds solutions. So, anyway, just a, a word of optimism there. Um, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, no, no, completely. I mean, I think um, the one thing that I find that I think what we are seeing, at least in the in the investor, or as we look at the kind of the scooter world and what investors are, I had a friend of mine who sat down with a bunch of VCs uh, and and was saying, look, they're you know, the economics are compelling, but they're not quite as crazy as they thought they were originally. I think we've kind of discussed it on the podcast before. Um, the vandalism problem is something that's quite substantial. And when you scoot, for example, who's one of the operators in San Francisco has said, yep, look, vandalism is actually a far bigger problem than we thought it used to be. Uh, they obviously ran, they started with mopeds, um, uh, the sort of electric mopeds. And now they've gone into the kick scooters when they got the permit in San Francisco. And they've started doing things like locking and, others i mean i think there's a part of it which is like there's obviously the safety there's sort of hardware adaptations that you can make in terms of putting locks on the on the vehicles there's the obviously time uh in getting a a populace to be able to understand just as you say there's sort of a kind of a a, a kind of a, a lot of vandalism in the beginning and then that kind of peters out but i also think as well there's just something around um the way that it gets deployed into a city so actually having something where it's not uh If you have to walk to a scooter and there's a kind of a couple of dedicated spots in a block that you would go to, uh, scooters or bikes or whatever it is, um, that that infrastructure, uh, it's all kind of concentrated into one area and you don't have it sort of spread out so
1: it's not Yeah, no, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the difference with, with, with dock systems was actually the physical dock itself was expensive. Yeah, the land was expensive too, but that land could be a painted white line. And then we, you know, uh, we may just dedicate some parking spots on on a block uh, or a street to 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 these vehicles, and say, okay, this is the place where you're allowed to park. And I think that 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 goes hand in hand with with uh, you know enforcement and and just generally regulating this whole this whole space, which I think will evolve and will mature over time. You know, I'm reminded of another thing that happened with. Uh, with theft and vandalism, even in the phone space, when we had, when we had people. Remember when the iPod shipped? People, you could see people from a, from far away because they had the white earbuds, and so oh, they,
0: yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah.
1: they were targeted, right? Yeah, they were targeted, and so so stealing uh, stealing iPods. Then the same thing with the phones, and you know when you're holding a phone up to your ear, it's again it's an advertising of what you're holding, and you know that Apple logo is shiny and visible, and what what Apple did was say well you know first of all you should password protect your phone that didn't remember initially you just swipe to turn on there was no protection then it became a password then it became a long password then it became a fingerprint then it became a face id so now we you know touch id face id and all these other layers of technologies then we have two-factor authentication then we have gps tracking. Then you have find, find your phone uh, technology built into, very, very uh, deep into the, the iOS ecosystem. And as a result, although theft can still occur, the thieves have to be smarter and smarter. The thieves have to be more and more uh, willing to take risk. And that that is the thing, you know, since they know that they have a hot product in their hand, that the, even the police could find out where they are, and that that's that's really scary for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, I would say habitual criminals. Now again, how far can you go through technology to get a lot of these uh, solutions uh, for protecting your your uh, your service? And I think there are a lot of ways to go. Uh, as I said, uh, just things come to mind with uh, you know alerts. Um, if, if someone, it, you know, I, I reminded super pedestrian, one of the great pioneers in, in, uh, electric, uh, cycling, um, with, with the Copenhagen wheel, super pedestrian, I remember visiting them and, um, they said that they had over 20 sensors inside of their, uh, of their one motor, essentially, which is what they sold is a, is a combined wheel and motor that, that you can, uh, you can fit into your bike. And um, and they said they could tell when the bike was down. They could tell when the bike was in an accident. They could tell when uh, the you know because it was also speaking with Bluetooth to a phone that the user held. They could tell when the various things were going wrong. And so when what the what the logic is here? Hey, let's use technology to understand even patterns where which seem this is this is like machine learning. Patterns that are out of the normal, out of the ordinary, and detect these things, understand them, get to the bottom of them, intercept uh, the 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 actors, and 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 work with it. I mean, again, you're you're solving a huge problem: transportation, transportation on a public infrastructure, and that's that deserves. Uh, a great deal of attention to detail, deserves a great deal of attention to unintended consequences. And again, we didn't speak very long about this, but I think having that relationship with the city, with the citizens in the city, and then having those citizens act as your own advocates, and having those citizens therefore deter the uh, bad actors themselves, that is the best way forward. Is to is to yeah. is to form is to form that relationship, and again, this is why I think if, if if the local knowledge and having an operator who has their pulse on the culture, their pulse on the, on the psyche, their pulse on the on the, the the emotions of the of the of the city's citizens, that sort of knowledge is what you need. And that also deters. Or, or or defers this this arrogance in some way because the, the you know it, it, you're one of you're one of them and that's that willingness to create the bond that's what's really why I think this business in, on one hand it's it's uh, it's challenging and perhaps slower than you might expect but it's still part of the the whole question here. There's no way to decouple transportation from the 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 lively you know, the livelihood of a city.
0: Yeah, I guess the the part for me that's really interesting, uh, obviously you don't want to set up the incentive where it's like, hey, you, uh, you've got people knocking scooters over on the streets and you're going to pay people, you know, oh yeah, go and write, write the scooter up again and it's 50 cents and all of a sudden you have, you, you, you set up that very uh, bad dynamic of People walking down the street, knocking them over, and the person following behind them, you know, paying them ten cents for every scooter they knock over, so that they can write them, you know, or something like that. Um, the 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 one thing that I I, um, I had been thinking about, just as you were describing it, was the po- it was the model from um, Smide from from uh, Corin and, and the and, and the others in, uh, in Zurich that we had discussed. Where they so that's stopped. the
1: other angle. So we mentioned the the aesthetic of the vehicle as well if you have a beautiful thing you're also going to have to place another psychic burden on the on the person who does does damage if it's an ugly thing you're actually giving them a uh, more incentive to act so it, it may seem a bit perverse and maybe some people actually work the opposite way, and they're sort of they're will, they're much more interested in destroying beautiful things than they are in destroying ugly things. But generally speaking, I think there's a certain amount of respect that that is implied by having an object that is that is that is sort of demands respect. And this is where this is a bit out there, I know, um, but I, I'm also impl- I'm also kind of. Uh, uh, trying to use some examples from other industries. So if you, if you were to think about automotive, sort of what do you have if you have a very, very inexpensive and ugly car? And I think we, talk, we may have talked about this offline. If I were to line up a few cars, let's say um, something like a Trabant. <laughs> well,
0: why don't, we, why don't we give the wider context to this conversation, which is the last time we tried to have a recording, Horace, I rang you and you were yeah. driving through France. At high speed on the highway because you'd pulled over, (laughs) tried to record and that didn't go well. No, 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 no. Okay, so so, so
1: yeah, yeah. So no, all right. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot about that. So I had an episode where I was I was on a I was driving across Europe, um, actually diagonally from Spain to Finland. I had just um, I had intended to use some some of that time productively by recording a podcast, Um, and and so first place I had to pull over and maybe sleep for the night was in France, and as I pull out of the French highway system onto the French toll booth, the whole thing was burned out or smashed, and the police were there and there were fires burning. Oh, it was like, I saw these these, uh, people with the yellow jackets right off the exit uh, at a roundabout, kind of congregating there, you know, going up to certain cars and talking to the drivers and evidence of other cars being burned or having been burned—they had been moved away—but they there were these spots on the asphalt. You know, when the, when the asphalt is melted, that some some car had been burned there. So as I go through the the, the this this a new uh, blockade, if you will, a new uh, concern, uh, I was I was oh no, I from from the frying pan into the fire, and I was um, I was very angry, but or not angry i was anxious but but when i when i saw it face to face and i saw these people who were obviously the protests uh, um, uh, protesters there it didn't seem to me to be the kind of violent people they were more you know they were more what you might call in europe a peasant or a farmer um, but country people and they were act, act, act really angry about the the you know the 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 fuel tax on diesel which target them more than anyone else because they only had diesel vehicles, um, personal and and uh, professional use. So, um, but that was that was the story I, I wanted to tell because the, the 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 when you look at it face to face and you actually come and meet these people who do these things which seem from afar to be irrational and that seem. Violent and and uh, uh, contemptuous of of civil life, they may have real concerns. Um, they may feel really really angry about something that happened to them, uh, and and so I I I would say we need a lot more research into the thinking of of why people do the things they do in a, such a violent manner, especially if it isn't a transient thing, and that th- that is the concern particularly with scooters, in particular areas, not everywhere, but in places like San Francisco, if there's a concern about this becoming normative, destruction of this property becoming normative, you have to ask more clearly, why do, you, why do so many people do it so many times? It is, it is much more important uh, not to dismiss this as being simply the, the, the act of, of, a, uh, of an irrational or, or psychotic individual, it's got to be something more when it's when it's done often enough. You really have to do what, what I what I call job to be done segmentation. What is the job that, that violence is is be being done hired is to do? That I'm
0: angry. Yeah, I'm angry at the, the, the way that the public sector has allocated this road space. Uh it turns out. Yeah, I a, I'm I'm am i am in the bin. Yeah.
1: And 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 again, segment the market. In a sense, right? So understand. Some people might be doing it for kicks. Some people might be doing it because of out of a sense of justice. Some people might be doing it out of a a sense of of social justice, sort of saying that well, these are representatives of those who are uh, uh, destroying our cities by other means. For example, you know, gentrification. Uh, These are representatives. I'm taking out my anger on. Proxies that are are representative of something more more fundamental, and when you look at this at this scooter business, uh, transportation in general, that is a very very tangible. You know, uh, it's it's this is why it's such. It's both scary, but also shows you how important it is that that solving this puzzle, this piece of the of the social puzzle, transportation, uh, is 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 crucial. By the way, Alex Roy. Uh, I think we mentioned him before he's he's um, he's coming to the the conference and he will be presenting uh, what you might consider the second keynote and the afternoon um, and he's going to speak about universal basic mobility so the logic of universal basic mobility is that transportation is a human right and in fact we begin with this ourselves in our, in, in our um, micromobility manifesto if you if you if you assert that this is something that that all citizens have a right to have that the the car in many ways impoverishes that right then then we need to and it is absolutely incumbent on everyone who's involved in this space to understand it and understand how how to deliver this this uh this right uh to individuals in an equitable manner so uh it's it's when you see evidence of violence and you see evidence of of reactionism um then you you know it's important to, uh, to get to the bottom of it uh, and not dismiss it as the acts of lunatic, lunatics. Uh, it, it's it's it's. it's it, I think and I guess what, what my appeal here now is that by doing so you actually understand better what your core pro- value proposition is, and by by overcoming these objections, overcoming the these reactionary uh, um, um, uh, reactionary uh, attempts. You, you, you actually make a better system. You make it a more equitable system and you make it a more c- inclusive system. I think that's important. Anyway, I think we, we've probably spent enough time here, but <laughs> <laughs> if, not, if not, then we, we will come back to this, but you know, especially if we get some feedback on, on, on what we should do better. But, um, but yeah.
0: Cool. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much, Horace.